our, our study thus far, we've gone through uh, the characteristics or the qualities that uh, Jesus taught his disciples should possess. And they're all matters of what? Matters of the heart. And our key verses in chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus revealed that the righteousness of those being taught, his disciples, needed to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Imagine yourself at that time realizing that's a revolutionary thought because the Pharisees, well, they were the righteous ones in, most, in, in everybody's eyes. So that was a revolutionary statement that Jesus made there. And we've looked at Jesus' use of two commonly understood needs of the times, salt and light, and how he uh, likened these items and showing those who is teaching that they needed to be influential in the world. But he also made them, and he's also made us aware, that living in the manner and to be the kind of person that we need to be was going to invite what? Ridicule. Persecution. And that persecution was going to come from family members, it was going to come from neighbors, and it was even probably going to come from even some higher authorities because their behavior, if they did what he was teaching, their behavior would be different from that of which the world enables or does. So completely distinct people from those kinds of things that are admired by the world. You know, an essential theme of the Bible all the way from its beginning to its end, is that God's historical purpose is to call out a people for Himself. A holy people, set apart from the world to belong to Him and to obey Him. And we see Jesus in His teaching here reiterating the significance of that, um, of that idea. Now the audience of this time is taken in by the authority that Jesus displayed in this teaching. They questioned, what was this authority of his? Was he setting himself up as an authority over and above the sacred law? Was he setting himself up to be above the word of God? Well, obviously it seems so to some, um, but Jesus answered their question and he addressed their concern when he said, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. That means to fill them up, to draw them out, to, to fill in where it needs to be. <coughs> Jesus turned his attention to fulfilling the law and diving into a depth morality by providing some illustrations, some examples that deepen the meaning of the law, and yet did not destroy necessarily the demand of the law. Notice how he begins with each of the examples with such words as, as you heard, or it was said. In other words, this is what you have been taught. This is what you have heard. This is what you understand. But, and that's a key word, but here's what I say. And so we see him doing that with each of these uh, uh, examples that he gives and the illustration that he gives. Well, who is Jesus in reality? 
He's God. He's God in the flesh. So He has all of the authority, for sure. There's no questioning that. But there are going to be, as we continue reading and studying the life of Christ, you're going to see where that authority is not understood and it will be uh, challenged. When he says, but I say, those are words that I think are words of authority. But I say, here's what you have heard, here's what you understand, but I say. And here he is, God in the flesh, and he is clarifying this is what you need to understand. In the first example, Jesus taught that anger and insulting words made one liable for judgment. That this manner of thought and behavior are equivalent to what? And eventually could even lead to the act of doing what? Murder. Murder. And uh, makes one receive the guilty verdict before the court of Lord. Uh, court of God just being someone that's that's angry. Now the second example is the one that we looked at Sunday and it dealt with what issue? Adultery. Lust. Anger. Adultery. Lust. Lust. Oh. I think it deals with lust. Dealt with the sin of lust. Because Jesus taught that to look lustfully was to commit what in the heart? Adultery in the heart. In other words, the eyes of the heart are being stimulated by the eyes of the flesh. And uh, the only way to deal with the problem is to deal with what? The eyes. The eyes. In the realm of one's vivid imagination of committing adultery with one's eyes, in other words, a man looking at a woman and having a desire and visualizing, you know, having a sexual relationship with her, that's, that's what this is all about. And those kinds of thoughts could eventually lead one into doing the physical act of adultery. Who do we know that happened to, by example, in the Bible? David. 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 Yeah. It started with a look. And uh, it's very simple. I think Jesus is saying, here's, you know, he talks about cutting out the eye and all that kind of stuff. I think here's what he's saying. Here's the key. Don't look. And same applies to the hands. What do we do with the hands? We do things with the hands, right? Don't touch. Don't look. Don't touch. Now notice that when he gave us this teaching, he only emphasized the eyes and the hands as it relates to the act of committing uh, the sin of adultery in your thoughts and your mind, but it also could then lead to doing the physical act of, of relationship with another. But in Matthew chapter 8, he also goes on and reiterates the same teaching, but he adds another component. What was the component he adds there? Anybody know? Eyes, feet, feet. What do we do with the feet? We go. We travel. We go somewhere. So here's here's what I think that is saying. Don't go. Don't go where you're not supposed to go. Don't look. Don't touch. Don't go. Very simply put, I think that's what the very core of what Christ was trying to teach. 
And the third example is what we're looking at today, and it's all about divorce. And it follows the second example of lust, I think in a very natural sequence there. One can lead to the other. Um, Rick, you mind if I sure. make a comment? I think, I think you're saying some good stuff. My question is, if I pluck my eyes out, let's say I go blind, and I cut my hands off, literally, and my feet, can I still be guilty of the sin of adultery in the heart? Yes. In your vivid imagination, you still yeah. could. And I think, that, I think that gets deeper to what Jesus is saying. I can pluck my eyes out all day. I can put a blindfold over my eyes. I can even look and look away and not go to the person's house or not touch the person. But if I still have that in my heart, I've sinned. Yeah. My imagination. So Jesus is even saying it's not enough for me to go home and say, Maybe. oh, don't look at the person. Don't touch the person. Don't walk to the person's house. Get it out of your heart. Don't go dwell on it. Don't go home fantasizing or even make love to your wife and thinking about another woman. That's a sin too. That's true. Very true. Don? One of the things that the Jews missed in all of this that he's bringing out, and is clear in the law, if you, if you delve into it, is the idea of premeditation. The difference between manslaughter and murder is premeditation. You plotted and you sought to do the act. There's a whole bunch that's going on in the heart before that happens. And the thing, same thing that the prophets are accusing Israel of, you lie in wait to do such and such. Your feet run to do evil. And it's that thought process and the thinking and the plotting of how you're going to accomplish something even before the act occurs. And that's brought out in the Law and the Prophets. Yeah, this is challenging. So if you go back to verse 8, about a pure heart. Mm -hmm. That's one of the keys here. If you have a pure mm -hmm. heart, you're going to see things and you're going to run toward things, you're going to get near things. But with a pure heart, you're going to get out of there quickly. And what David's problem was in the instance with Bathsheba, he didn't let his heart dictate what he saw. So he didn't get out of there quick enough and he just hung around like, I'll just check this out for a while. Mm -hmm. And it got real bad for him. And it just snowballed for him. It's a great example of us, what can happen when we don't have that pure heart. It goes back to what Don just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> All of this, I hope we're seeing the matters of the heart because yes. it really is. Yes. But if your heart is right, you're going to catch yourself. Yes, everything else You're going to catch yourself. Place. You're not going to, you know, if you look, ooh, yeah. you know, you don't look. You don't, ooh, right. you know, that kind of. That's all. Yeah, and, and, and you just don't make the move to touch it. You just, and you don't, you don't, not supposed to go. Right. That's right. <laughs> but it is a matter of the heart. I just wanted to add that. An example of Joseph, um, I think it's a great example because when he is tempted right, by the wife of, of his master, um, she makes every all the servants go out. In other words, there were going to be no witnesses. So if there was any um, event that were to happen, he could get away with it because there was going to be no one to tell, right? It was just going to be a secret between them. And he could have easily done and not had to, you know, suffer the consequences that he did. However, it was not in his heart. And so even... 
even if the po there was a possibility that he could get away with it, he knew that God was watching the entire time. Um, which is what the opposite of David. David thought he could get away with it. Yes, he yeah. tried. Which, yeah. which yeah. is why yeah. he ended up committing all those sins. You know, divorce, <laughs> it, it's a very controversial and very complex subject, if you want to make it complex. Um, it's a subject that, that touches people's emotions, I think, at the deepest level. Uh, you probably all have known folks that have faced it, gone through it, and experienced it, and it is, it's an ugly thing. But the institution of marriage is, it's a creation of God. You remember that's, <laughs> it was meant for love. Uh, but no unhappiness is greater than the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage. And where bitterness and discord and despair and hatred enter, all matters of the heart, where that can enter into a marriage, well, what was a balanced relationship can easily become unbalanced. Um, and yet, Jesus' teaching on this subject is intrinsically good. Uh, it's good for individuals, and it also is good for society as a whole, because it was God's plan. It was God's plan. And these two verses alone here in Matthew 5 only graze the totality of the Lord's instruction about divorce. Um, a fuller version is given in, over in chapter 19, and we're going we're gonna to go over there and look at some of that because I think it's important that we understand why even Jesus was teaching about divorce then, and, and of course it, it still has applicability and still a minutes today. Don? The, the verse 20, what, 20 to 31, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. The Jews of Jesus' time were taking this as a command. <laughs> yep. In the law, you've got law, uh, the, the commandments, statutes, ordinances, and judgments. This is a judgment from chapter 24 of Deuteronomy. You're getting ahead of me. Judgments. You're getting ahead of me. I, I will get there. We're, we're going to look at Deuteronomy too. There appears to me that at the time that Jesus is doing this teaching, there are two schools of thought that existed at that time. And I think it's important that we kind of understand that. One was from a rabbi called Samaye. And in the first century, he supported the thought that is with and accord with Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. So let, let's turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 24. You can look at verses 1 through 4. Sean, do you want to read those for us? Yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, that she have, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and 
sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you should not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now what is that teaching right there saying is the sole ground for a divorce? Adultery. That's not... Yeah, yeah, and making, it's making yourself guilty of what's said in, in Leviticus chapter 18. It is nakedness. You have made yourself naked before others. That's literally that yeah, that's what it's saying. Anybody, my text says indecency in her. Anybody else got anything there? That's what my sister So she overboils her sheep meat. Yep. They, they were doing that. Yeah. Uh, you, at Jesus' time, you could divorce your wife. Not according to. But not according to this. This is one of the schools of thought about this indecency. They had, they just opened it up wide open. Yeah, they, they even put wives away. They were losing they were losing hair. They were going bald. They it had to be. be so it's not like it's not like today though in that case, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had to be some grave matrimonial offense. Grave matrimonial offense. And just because she burns my sheep meat, that's not enough grounds for divorce. So so adultery wasn't the only. Legit reason back then, or this is just one school of thought mm -hmm. that was taught by one of the rabbis. That he he this is a more rigorous definition of what constitutes a divorce. However, there's another school by the name of Rabbi Hillel. His school of thought was much more liberal. Okay, and his attitude toward divorce. At the time that Jesus is doing this teaching, is the commonly held school of thought. Anybody know who Josephus was? He was a Jewish historian. And what and seeing what he had to say about divorce, this is what he said. See if this rings a bell with you. He that desires to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever, and many such causes happen among men, let him in writing give assurance that he will never use her as his wife anymore, for by this means she may be at liberty to marry another husband. Although before this bill of divorce be given, she is not to be permitted so to do, but if she be misused by him also, or if when he is dead, her first husband would marry her again, it would not be lawful for her to return to him. I know that's some serious stuff, but what is that? What's the school of thought there? You can divorce her. She burns my sheep meat. I can divorce her. <laughs> yeah. no, no All I got to do is just give her a writ of divorce. Hey, what you good? Insignificant things. Hmm? Insignificant things. Anything. Anything. So, Anything. So, any cause. So, like in today's terms, she refuses to dye her, my wife refuses to dye her blonde, I can divorce her. Right? <laughs> Under that school of thought, yes, you could. But, not, not, 
Not God's, not God's teaching. Right. <laughs> well, they interpreted it as anything that displeased the husband. That's it? Oh, okay. So, so again, if she doesn't dye her blonde for me, then I can... <laughs> now, the Pharisees, which school of thought do you think they were attached to? The latter, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how we know that is because of what we see in, in Ch Matthew chapter 19, right. verses 3 through 9. So let's turn over there. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, pick up that, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Isn't that hard to understand? Now, when these Pharisees were approaching Jesus, I don't think they were trying to get an answer about, they were trying to figure out School of thought. Exactly. Are you a student of and a proponent? He's gonna make somebody mad either way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, did did he give them an answer? Of either one of the schools of thought. To the beginning. He didn't. He went and took it right back to the very beginning. <laughs> and Jesus' answer, I think, comes in a, like three parts to the Pharisees. What are the Pharisees uh, preoccupied with, do you think? Tradition. Tradition. And this school of thought that you could divorce your wife for, for, any, for any reason. So they're preoccupied with the grounds for divorce in some way. Where is Jesus' mind at? What's he concerned about? Huh? What is the truth? I mean, what's he trying to convey here is important. Your vow before God. And the institution of marriage. Yes, with, with the vow. Institution of marriage. Jesus is saying, that's not the way it was in the, from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. <clears throat> so he, Jesus' reply was really not an answer to the question that they posed to him. It was much deeper than that. Um, 
And he asked them a counter question referring back to Genesis because that verse there is, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast up, and the two shall become one flesh? Did you not read that? He's saying, did you not read that? And if you read it, what's your, you know, kind of hidden there, what's your understanding of that? Very interesting. It's very clear with his reply that marriage is a divine institution. Um, where God makes a male and a female no longer two but one flesh. And I don't, I, I know in studying this, I realize that idea of one flesh is, that's deep. Very deep. It's very, very deep. And if we get there tonight, I'm going to show you where some other instances and verses back in the Old Testament kind of help see that with us. Um, but the Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a what? What did they say it was? Verse 7. Command. Command. What does Jesus call it? doesn't really say there, but it's kind of hidden. It wasn't a command. It was a concession. It was a concession. And why was it a concession? Hardness of the heart. Hardness of the heart. Don? When you, when you look at that part of Deuteronomy, every one of those things in there is an after the fact. Everything was good until sin occurred. When sin occurred, here is the judgment that you, the judges of Israel, will issue. And this is one of them. And God shows and demonstrates that with the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. When he gets through, the prophet says, no, who, who did I write to build a divorce on? I wrote it on your sister Israel. And I sent them away. But you, I did not write a divorcement. You're going into captivity to learn better. There's not one going ahead to bring you back. <laughs> We're going to look at those at that scripture because I think it's important yeah. that we understand where God's thought and reasoning is at. And, and Jesus is trying to iterate that very... Dynamically. Dynamically. He's trying to get the same thought across to him. Yes. Um, I think kind of separate and apart from the actual lesson regarding marriage, divorce, and remarriage and all that, I think that it's really important for us to see the brilliance of what Jesus is doing in his argument. And something I've tried to, come, I've tried to remember in the past few years is come to the center of it, whatever it is, or find the center of it. So if you're in a disagreement with somebody, a lot of times people who are of the world will try to employ a lot of... Um, psychology or a lot of um, tactics to try to emotionally sway you or socially sway you. And so they are trying, as you said, they're trying to parse apart, okay, so what, what kind of tradition are you trying to get at? And he doesn't, he doesn't buy into it at all. He doesn't feed into it. He doesn't do anything. He, he gets to the center of it and what is the truth of it. And that's what we have to do because a lot of times we have to remember that Religion and faith is a very emotional thing because it's very personal and intimate. And in discussing these, we have to get past all of those emotional arguments and the tradition. 
and we have to do what Christ did was with it, which is to dispassionately ask questions and go back to the Word and just find the center of that argument. Well said. I mean, I can see Jesus, you know, when I, when I read things, I kind of try to visualize what occurred there with the exchange. And yes, I wish I could I wish handle I things like that. I wish I had that kind of equanimity in all situations where I could not respond emotionally. I agree. I agree with you. Mike, you had a thought? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, their emphasis, I think, the Pharisees' emphasis, is, is on the giving of a divorce certificate, um, making it the important part of uh, the provision. Um, but they didn't see, I don't think they saw the conditional clauses that are contained back in Deuteronomy. Did you see the provisional clause there in Deuteronomy? I did. If you didn't see it, we'll go back and look at it. Anybody not see it when we looked at Deuteronomy? But it's interesting that the people at this time are taking this school of thought that's completely uh, different from that. It appears the wife's uh, indecency had so defiled her as to be sufficient ground for a divorce and not taking her back again under any, any kind of circumstance. Um, you know, there's no command uh, in the Bible for a husband to divorce his wife. Now, I will add to you that at this time also, and even an old wife didn't have that avenue, wives were not allowed to divorce their husbands. If you think about it, when a woman is divorced, and I think Sean has emphasized this too, what happens to that woman in, in these times? She's on the street. Mm -hmm. Poor. She's in a rough spot. It's not like today. Rough spot. So, you know, um, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of people's heart. It was a concession to human weakness. And if you think about it, these days it's so much not a weakness, it's just that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'll, I'll inject my thought now. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting close. This this carries on and you talked about, okay, we started with Matthew, Jesus reiterates it, Paul talks about it, Peter then explains it. So in the book of First Peter, he's writing to the dispersed. Chapter 3, he talks about women being in subjection. We all like that subject. <laughs> then he talks about adorning themselves. But he goes on, and I, I always have to come back to this phrase all the time. You husbands, in the same way, so in the same way, don't care what I just said about the wives, you do the same, so what does that mean? You're in subjection. You have to take care of your wife, because he goes right on to say, live with your wives in an understanding way. He didn't say you get to divorce them. You don't get to do anything. You live with your wives in an understanding way. So it goes on to say weaker. So your prayers will not be hindered. If you're not living in an understanding way, guess what? Your heart's not in the right place. I don't hear your prayers. He goes on to say the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
So if your heart is not set and you're having a problem, it's not the wife's problem. It's yours. And, it and you in, have to figure out how to fix it. And that falls into what category there, that last word you used? It's, the, it's your heart. It, yeah, oh. you use another word there. Oh, it's against the evil. It's evil. Yeah, it's your evil. So you, you, you have to watch what you're doing because... You might think it's you know it's all on her, but it's not. The Lord's going to say, "I gave you some passages to talk about this." Sure. Peter tried to help you understand exactly what I was trying to tell you. Now these people are dispersed, so they're not in Jerusalem and around all the teachings. He's letting them know, just because you go away doesn't mean things change. They're out there in the heathen world now. Life still goes on. This yeah. is what the Lord expects. There's no doubt in my mind that the Pharisees regarded divorce lightly. Very. Jesus, though, I hope we see that he takes it seriously. And this, um, this goes back to the whole point of the sermon. Heart. Heart. Mm -hmm. Their hearts are not right with this either. No. No. They're not. It's, it's not. They were they were wrong on the look, don't touch thing, and they're wrong on this. Yeah, because going back to our original text, he said, But I say, and what did he say? Verse 32. Except. Except, and the except is on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me tell you, people don't like to hear that. That's why it's a controversial subject today. And I got a fellow elder here, everybody that comes to place membership with us that's married, look like this when we ask the question because we don't know what the answer is going to be and sometimes the answer has not been yeah. and even when you have Bible studies with people today you have to ask this question because I don't get people to the baptistry until we deal with this you're not going to go down in adultery and come up in adultery we got to deal baptism and wash away marriages it wash away sins so we this even hurt this is even hurting our evangelistic efforts. Yeah. And what's the problem? What's the driver here? Hardness of the heart. It was true then, it's true today. People don't want to accept this kind of teaching because, well, it's just not the norm. And Don? Somebody up front mentioned the idea of sophistry. You know, using wisdom philosophies and philosophizing things, and uh, that that idea that is used by debaters of using wisdom to convince somebody rather than the facts. And today, what you hear is, "Oh, but what if?" Mm -hmm. and, and how about this case? Well, no, no, there is no case. <laughs> when when you read the law. When you read what Jesus says, it is this way and no other. But no, well, what if? To me, it's black and white. There is no it's what if in the Hebrew language. Yeah. But everybody wants to Not only, uh, put some if. gray in there. And there really is no gray. It's black and white. Yeah, it says a but. Yeah, I just wanted to add that. Um, Jesus says, except. So he gives an option, right? But it's not saying you have to. Right. And you think about how marriage is kind of like a, 
a symbol of God's relationship with his people. And uh, if you think about God and, and the Israelites, and how many times the Israelites adulterated, right, or committed sin against God, and instead of God getting rid of them, right, he forgave them again and again and again. So it goes back to the same thing in, in an actual marriage. Um, we think about what God did with us, how He forgave us right, in that relationship. Well, what are we supposed to do? Even though we, we of course, we have that option and it's completely legal, but um, if we think about you know what God did for, for us, then maybe, maybe it, it takes a lot more right, to forgive. And I know Jesus is going to talk more about that later on. But. In fact, that was a good introduction and we ran out of time. But on, on Sunday, we're going to go back and we're going to look at, at Malachi, what was recorded there in Malachi. And we're also going to look at what is said in Jeremiah with about God's relationship with Israel and Judah. Because I think that's important that we see God's perspective and what He saw going on with His chosen people and how he perceived what was happening and how he dealt with it because it, it's very much related to what we're talking about with the subject of, of divorce and remarriage so hold those thoughts and we'll go there and then we'll pick up with the next lesson uh as sunday as well there's that was i don't think it's going to be as tough as, as, as a big one it's, it's a big one. <laughs>